You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. It's always fun coming back from Costa Rica after straining so hard to catch vocabulary words in Spanish. And now I find that when, when I come back from places like that, it's hard for me to find my English words. You know, it's, it's, it's just really a strange dynamic. And it's like, I think I want to say good morning. You know, and it's like, ugh. So if I, if I have some of those moments, just uh, be gracious. I want to share with you something that I shared on my VCC connection this last week from Psalm 13. I did it, and, and as I introduced it, if you watch it on, online, I did it lighthearted about uh, how long, O oh Lord, how long, and having been in airport lines going through customs uh, in our country, but also in Costa Rica, you go to the Latin American countries, sometimes uh, the customs gets a little wild and, and crazy. Plus, you know, here, I don't like lines. I, I don't like delays. I've got TSA passes, so I don't have to stand in the long line. I don't have to take off my shoes. I don't have to take off my belt. I don't have to take off my hat. I can just walk right through with my coat, my laptop, and my suitcase, and just go right through it, and no questions asked. However, when you get out of our country, TSA really doesn't work. So you take off your shoes, you take off your belt, you take off everything, it seems like, you know, get through, uh, get through security. When I looked at that and, and how I presented that in, in the VCC connection, it was like, but you know, Rick, what David's going through in Psalm 13 is completely different than that. It's more than just the exasperation of having to stand in line and wait and wait and wait. There's a sense of the loss of his awareness of God's presence. And that's why his heart and his soul and his spirit cries out. Listen to what the psalmist says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes, my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Amen. Amen. For my connection, I did it from the New Living Translation. And there's one verse that particularly stands out that I really, really enjoy. But listen to this psalm. It's only six verses, again, in the NLT. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. 
Don't let my enemies gloat, saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he has been good to me. Let's pray. Father, as we bow in your presence, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to receive the fullness of the gospel today. Let your word speak. Let it not return to you void of having accomplished everything that you sent it to accomplish today. Give us place to receive your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. When it feels as though God has left you, anybody know what that feels like? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. A sevenfold negative. I will never, 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 no, never, never, never leave you nor forsake you. You like that verse? I love it. Yeah. And I believe that's true all the time. The problem is, is our awareness. And sometimes our awareness just goes off the charts and we don't have a sense of God's presence. That can come because of conflict. That can come because of illness. When we're suffering, oh gosh, you put me in suffering and it's like, God, where are you? I'm throwing up again. Where are you? Lord, I'll go to Africa if you'll just heal me of this nausea. Yeah. Bargain with him, do all sorts of stuff because of a lack of awareness of his presence. And I know I've, I've, I've shared the dynamic of one time going through a flu, a stomach flu, horrible stomach flu. It started with one of the members of the family and it just went through the whole family and then it was my turn. And I'd watched and I'd seen that it only lasted 24 hours. And I thought, oh, this is good. And I was having a time of intimacy with the Lord and it hit. But this time I was aware of his presence. I was aware that he was with me. And when we're suffering, when we're suffering illness and, and things like that, but we know he's with us, it changes everything. We can just sit there and regurgitate and brush our teeth and praise the Lord and regurgitate and praise the Lord. <laughs> it's, it's amazing because you know there's an end. That's the, the bad thing about nausea. When it first hits, it feels like it's eternal. It's never going to end, but it does end. And so is, is our unawareness of the presence of God. It always has an end. What are we supposed to do when we're not aware of his presence. We don't really need a theological exhortation, somebody to give us information. We don't need somebody to come up and, and quote a Bible verse to us. What we need is for him to make his presence known to us. We need him to come and to be for us what we need. What we find when we're not aware of his presence, oftentimes the enemy will bring right into that a fear of abandonment, especially if we've had those kind of 
dynamics in our childhood, our early adulthood, when we've had issues of abandonment, then the enemy knows exactly how to come when we are not aware of the Lord's presence to start whispering, he'll leave you just like dad. He'll leave you just like your spouse. He'll leave you just like your parent. You know, and, and he starts to whisper those things and the, and the anxiety that hits as we become aware that he's not here. It has an internal effect upon us. The psalmist says that he's wrestling with his thoughts. <laughs> he's daily dealing with sorrow. There's torment in his heart. These are the internal dynamics that he's wrestling with. But there's external consequences as well. Because for David not to have an awareness of the presence of God, he knew that the Lord was his protector. And without the presence of his protector, he is vulnerable to his enemies. So he's wondering, will he endure through the night, through the season, or will the enemies get the upper hand? And so he's concerned externally about what is happening by the enemy who's moving against him. So he gets really specific. He says, look, answer me, God, where are you? You know, this is getting desperate. You can sense how desperate he's going. You know, cause my eyes to shine lest I sleep in death. <laughs> lest my enemies say I have overcome him. And they'll rejoice when I am defeated. So there's a desperation. And it goes from the fear that his condition is going to decline rapidly. And that he will be defeated and that he will die. That's how serious the psalm is. It's more than long lines during immigration. But something happens at the end of verse 4. Something incredible happens. The psalmist doesn't tell us what it is. And I think that's strategically designed because even though David wrote this, and it was probably during the times that Saul was pursuing him and he was hiding in caves and in the wilderness and he was trying to just live and survive. But it also became a hymn of worship. And humanity has been able to identify with the, the dynamics of the psalm. And so we don't, we don't know what happened. We just know that there's a pivot between verse four and verse five, something takes place. Whether it's a, a awareness of the Lord's presence, a revelation that just went to his heart, or whether it's a radical victory, a dynamic that takes place, a healing that takes place, something divine happens and it changes the last two verses of this incredible Psalm. I love it when he shows up. It makes the times that we were unaware of his presence, it just magnifies the glory of when he is there. The contrast between emotionally how we feel so insecure without the awareness of his presence and then his presence comes and we're aware. Ah, oh, we feel secure. Something happens. Whether it's 
we understand the character of God and, and we realize that God's good and all of a sudden we realize that or we, we reflect back and we look at our history to other similar times and we see that the goodness of God has come in and we remind ourselves of the testimonies of what God's done in the past and it changes then our awareness of his presence or where there's an actual intervention where he comes and he moves. And so the psalmist, <laughs> the psalmist is, is just taken with the dynamic of, of the Lord's presence. He says, but I trust in your unfailing love. Is he trusting before it happened or is he trusting after it happened? Probably both. There's been times when I've trusted before it happened and there's been a lot of times where I trusted after it happened. But I always, I always find that as a fun thing to talk with the Holy Spirit about. You know, is, is David talking because God's delivered him and he's, he's brought him back to health? Or he's, he's delivered him from his enemies? Or has he just remembered how good God is? Hmm. It says, your unfailing love is what I trust in. <clears throat> the word there in the Hebrew is hesed. If you really pronounce it good, like some of my professors, it's hesed. <laughs> Sounds like you're... <laughs> You know, it's one of those real guttural things. Hesed. Here, Hesed. Sometimes it's translated loving kindness. But Hesed is, is a word for covenant. It's always used in a covenantal commitment. And here when he says, your Hesed, I will trust in your Hesed. He says, I will trust in you because you are the one who has entered into covenant with me through the Son. For David, it would be through the blood of the lamb. And out of that covenant relationship from Abraham and on forth, that God has always been a covenant-keeping God. There's, a, there's a, a call that here is one who is faithful and loyal. Even if we don't keep our half of the bargain, he will always keep his part. He will always be loyal to his covenant relationships with us. I think that's so good. Part of, part of the dynamic, and we'll get into this in a little more in just a second, is that, that we fear that somehow we've done something that has negated God from keeping his half of the covenant. I might just encourage you, you're not that powerful. There's nothing that you can do that can negate his faithful covenantal love in being reliable and dependable on him keeping his promises to you. If you're Armenian, you might have a little trouble with that. Mm -hmm. But his covenantal love is found in relationship. So as we get to the dynamic of the psalmist and his suffering and knowing that the Lord Jesus knew the book of Psalms over and over 
many of them memorized. We know that he knows what it's like to not be able to be aware of the presence of the Father. Psalm 22.1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus, knowing that psalm, is using it when he's on the cross. And there's a sense of not being aware of the Father's presence. And Jesus Christ, what the psalmist has written, why have you forsaken me? Yet Jesus stayed on course, choosing to remain faithful to the purposes of God, and through his suffering and death, he endured the shame of the cross because of the joy that was set before him. See, God is still worthy. God is still God. He's worthy of worship and allegiance despite the inability that we have to comprehend suffering, human suffering fully. So what do we do when we have a sense of abandonment? First, some of us assume that God has withdrawn or hidden himself because he doesn't like us, because he doesn't want to associate with me. This attitude assumes that I am the root cause of God's absence. And how many of us believers have bought that lie? Yeah. Something, uh, our feelings of unworthiness, we believe we're abandoned. We, we find self-condemnation <laughs> leads to anger and paralysis and despair, depression. Well, that's one way that you can respond to a sense of God not being present. Lack of awareness. Others respond to the hiddenness of God by denying his existence altogether. I don't feel God, therefore God isn't here. Therefore God isn't. God has never been. Mm. The only <laughs> avenue available is to rely on our own self-power and self-control. And that makes for a very scary reality in this world. The third possibility is what we find here in Psalm 13, is to wait on God and acknowledge that we are powerless in our situation and we are completely dependent upon him. This doesn't mean that we have to be quiet. Have you ever given somebody the quiet treatment, the silent treatment? You're upset with them? They didn't do what you wanted. They didn't show up. So you just, you give them the silent treatment. Talk to the hand. Hmm. And sometimes that's what we do with God. But we don't have to. God is not so fragile that he can't handle our humanity and our inability to understand the greater and weightier things of his kingdom. So we can appeal to him. We can, we can question him. When we question God and we question him with a little extra energy, like, why? It kind of shows that we have relationship. 
You don't just say, why? If you don't have a relationship with the person. If you don't have a relationship with the person, you think, well, I know why. They don't like me. But if you believe that they do, you can go after the relationship. So here's some lessons that I think we can learn from Psalm 13 in regard to a sense of divine absence when God's not there. The experience real and it's painful. There's no doubt about it. It's painful. And if you have it, you shouldn't be suffering in silence and in aloneness. And by that, I mean you need to be aware that the suffering that's going on is because you're not aware of his presence. That doesn't mean that you become very vocal with family members and just say, God has forsaken me. God has abandoned me. You, you don't need to tell those that could be influenced in the wrong way. You tell that to him. Why have you left me? Why am I facing this alone? It feels like you're not here. What's going on? And there may be some in your life that are trusted friends that you can be that vulnerable with and you can cry out to. So what does divine absence mean? One, divine absence need not be seen as the result of some failing within ourselves. For even the righteous suffer. And indeed, suffering without divine in intervention can be understood as one of the hallmarks of the living faith. Faithful living. Hebrews chapter 11. Look at the, the hall of faith and look at all the suffering that took place. Secondly, suffering... The absence of God can be redemptive as others are brought to realize through our experience that the painful realities of life do not deny the existence, power, and compassionate concern of our God. When we're not aware of his presence, but we continue to confess that he's good and that he's loving and that he's kind. See, one of the things that uh, one of my favorite marriage counselors says, the difference between those couples who are very happy in their marriages have some of these surprising little secrets that's going on in the relationship. And one of them is this. I know my spouse loves me. That's the first place they go to. I know my spouse loves me. Those with highly unhappy marriages, the first place they go to, I knew my spouse didn't love me. And now this just substantiates it. The ones who know my spouse loves me, they say, I don't understand. I don't understand what's going on. But I know my spouse loves me. And when I get the full picture, I'll have some understanding. But in the meantime, I'm not going to go over here and say, I know my spouse doesn't love me. 
If he loved me, he'd have brought flowers. No. I know my spouse loves me. And the fact that he forgot flowers on Valentine's Day, you know, there's probably a story behind that. This is one of the things I think we need to realize. That God, we don't understand. He's, he's beyond us. We don't understand his ways, but we know they're good. We know that he's loving. And when we get the rest of the story, and it might be till we get to heaven, till we get the rest of the story, and when we get there, it might not, we might not need to know the rest of the story. It'll be enough. God is worth holding on to faithfully even when we do not experience him as being present. So how do we regain a sense of God's presence when, when all of a sudden it, it feels like he's not around and we're in a desperate situation? When God is absent, how do we gain? How do we regain a sense of his presence? One, vocalizing the complaint, as we see here in Psalm 13. Vocalize it openly and honestly. One way that you might do this is through writing poetry. Polly's not here today. Polly's a poet. Polly Coles is an amazing poet. I've read her poetry, and she's able to express some incredible things through poetry. And if you if you are gifted in writing poetry, you might just write a poem and it might be very similar to Psalm 13. Some of us uh, are not that prolific with uh, words, so we might just journal. Just write it down, do some journaling. Another way is audible. Just, just start speaking. Now, once again, I'd caution you, make sure you're in a good place to do this. One of the good places is go for a walk and just cry out to God. Where are you? The situation's really getting intense. The kids are sick. What's going to happen? You know, there's a relationship that's been estranged. God, how are you going to come in and redeem this? While you're walking, possibly in the woods, you can shout at the trees. You can let it go. Use your voice. Speak. Let it get going. As I was preparing this week, I was thinking of, of a situation in my family, and I just used this as a time to cry out to God. God, I don't know what's going on. There's a whole lot of things that's been silent, but I'm crying out to you, Lord. Move. Move in this situation. Do something. Show yourself. Come to this person and cause them to know how much you love them. Hmm. Secondly, <clears throat> we can try to get out of ourselves. It's really interesting that once, once a sense of no... Uh, no awareness of his presence hits and then the condemnation and everything goes on and how the enemy takes that. So one way that you bust out of that is, is you just start carrying 
for others. It is go out and serve. Love someone. It helps get us out of our isolation and our loneliness. Have you ever noticed how a pity party really never brings forth the redemptive purposes of God? I've never had a pity party in which the fruits of the Spirit all of a sudden start manifesting. Yeah, my pity parties get pretty ugly and they go pretty black. So get out of that and allow your eyes to see others and allow your hands to serve others in compassionate, caring service. Care for them. Seeking the welfare of others is an, an incredible dynamic in the kingdom. As we do it to them, all of a sudden we realize God's blessing us. I don't know how many times I thought I, I went to be a blessing for someone else. And as I left, I, I, I discovered that God had blessed me through them. Hmm. Thirdly, is in community. In the community of faith, <clears throat> oftentimes we meet God. As Linda opened the service and was lamenting that she wasn't feeling like she had anything to give today and all that kind of, you know, sometimes we, 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 God, why am I even going? Why am I going to church? Why am I even bother coming to a service? We don't realize it, but he's drawing us because he wants to reveal himself to us. And sometimes it's through a testimony you know, maybe the encouraging word that Bob gave about the prayer ministry of yesterday touched your heart. And it kind of ignited faith that God's still moving and doing something. And it gives hope. He might do something in my situation too. And there's something about when we come together in the community of faith, whether we're suffering, when one suffers, when one weeps, we weep with the one who's weeping. When one's celebrating and rejoicing, we celebrate and rejoice with the one who's rejoicing. And oftentimes every Sunday, there's gonna be people in this room who are rejoicing and those who are weeping. And we need to have the eyes and the discernment so that we know that, so that we can enter in and they're not weeping alone. Hmm. So how do we restore connection to his presence? Well, one way is together coming and acknowledging Jesus. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, and his soon return. And we acknowledge that his body is real food and this that represents the bread of life is real food for us today. And so we receive this and we say, thank you, Jesus. As we receive your body and ingest it into our beings, we pray, Holy Spirit, would you activate the reality of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit's presence in our lives? Would you release healing to our bodies? Would you restore our souls and bring 
to us the fullness of life. Yeah. So as we receive, let's eat in remembrance of him. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.